We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Here, I talk to immigrants who are kicking ass in the U.S. Thank you for tuning in. This is part two of my conversation with Zara Barry. She is a first-generation British-American. She is the former senior sex and dating writer for Elite Daily. And last year, her first book came out, Girls Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup. And we're not talking about makeup at all. We talk about elitism, we talk about diversity, and we talk about how to get your first book published. Since it's part two of the conversation, we jump right at the place where we talk about career stuff. And so if you want to hear about Zara's attempt at reuniting with her mom's culture and how she came to appreciate America with all its flaws, check out part one wherever you're listening right now. And finally, a trigger warning. The subject of sexual assault comes up in this episode. Nothing graphic, but it is mentioned. All right, here's our chat. I hope you enjoy it. You know, I thought acting as a career was like a sort of a bloodbath of elitism. You know, um, it used to be so, I mean, it still is, but it used to be worse, I think, with like nepotism. You know, celebrity kids, producer. I just used to think, how can I compete with these people that, you know, have all these connections and this and that. I thought it was a bloodbath until I got into um, publishing, which is a whole other thing. It's a whole other level of competition that I did not realize. But, you know, for me, what happened is I never thought I could be a writer because I didn't go to a fancy school because, you know, I got bad grades in high school. I thought this, I I always loved writing, but I just, you know, this is for people who went to Harvard. This is for people who are very academic. And I ran a youth outreach theater program. um, And on the side, a publication asked me to like just write like a fashion blog thing for them and I thought oh how fun this will be fun did not know that I would love it as much as I did and love the right I was doing video for them but I would write little blurbs and then the blurbs kept getting longer and longer and longer and then I started getting so much of a reaction that I was like you know maybe I'll start my own blog just see what happens and then I randomly applied for a job at elitedaily.com which is a a New York City millennial media company. Don't know how I got it. (laughs) No college degree, no journalism degree, nothing. I think what's really served me in my uh, writing career is a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people that come from those schools have such a sense of entitlement. You know, like I worked with 21 year olds that would be like, I don't transcribe. I didn't go to the school to transcribe. I've never had that attitude. I'm like, oh my God, I'll transcribe. I'll do anything. You ask me for five, I'll give you 10 amazing pitches. So I just worked so hard on my edit test and I was wanted it so bad that I ended up, you know, beating out people who probably just were a little more lax, like, you know, and uh, when I got the job there, I worked so hard. I mean, I was the first person in the office, the last person there, and I paid attention to what readers wanted. 
and more than what my peers thought of me. That's really important with writing is writers. I think comedians do the same thing where we end up caring so much about our peers. Your peers aren't who you're making it for. You're making it for the reader. You're making it for the audience. You're writing stand up for the audience, not for other comedians kind of thing. Um, and I just focused on them, built a relationship with my readers, got gritty, never felt above them, wrote every single person back, made myself accessible. I was in the comments, things that a lot of people were too literary or good to do. And I found that that really worked for me. And then by the time, you know, I got signed by CAA and I would have these conversations, you know, CAA is a really big agency. And I would have these conversations with my agent. He, he agreed. He's like, publishing isn't doing well right now because there's such a disconnect between these gatekeepers and actual readers, you know? And at this time I'd written over 2000 articles on the internet. I'd gone viral so many times I had for a writer a really good following because a lot of writers are too good to do the social media thing. I never was. I've always been like out there putting my work out there shamelessly. Well, you're also great at it. Like for me, the big obstacle was uh, putting myself out there and tooting my my work and like doing that and being there because I always thought, okay, I, I can represent my project. And I always put, would put my project out there, but not me. And that did not serve me. <laughs> well, again, it's, it's, it's a very American thing to do. You know, most cultures don't put themselves out there. Like, you know, you think of Paris Hilton, like she was the first person to make herself a brand, you know, and that's an American thing. Which Russians made so much fun of. Like, it's like, ew. Of course. <laughs> For us. Right, right, right. Totally. I mean, and, and, and I get it. It seems very narcissistic um, and ridiculous, but look at what she's built. You know, it wasn't easy for me to do it either. I never spend more time on the promotion than I do on the pro The product has to be great. The product is the most important thing, but I also was like, I'm just going to go for it with putting it out there because I'm competing with people with these degrees, with this training, with these connections. So I've got to just be shameless about it. And uh, yeah, I would talk with my agent about it. And then when it came time to get the book deal, my first book proposal got rejected 35 times. Wow. Um, by every publisher, every editor. And my agent was like, I don't, he's like, all I can say is like, I'm, this is, this is where our industry is full of snobs and wants the same kind of writers. And like, you know, they don't know what to do with you. This is the, publishing is 10 years behind the rest of the world. Like I'm coming in here with a proven track record, uh, people that like my writing. Like I can show you my numbers, my time on page, the clicks, the this, the that. Like I'm coming in here armed with so much stuff, a very strong proposal, the best agency behind me. And I still can't get a book deal. And I'm seeing my friends that are a little edgy, but are brilliant writers and just have such big followings. They're going through that now. Like they can't get book deals because it's still stuck in this old school snobbery. And then I did tweak my proposal and got a deal very quickly. What did you do? I had to make the proposal seem more like a self-help book, it is. which it is. I think it's a self-help book, but it's very memoir meets self-help. Yes. And it was more memoir-ish before it was more essays. And I just reframed it. It's so funny. It doesn't take much to 
it's like clear these people aren't reading your stuff too closely, you know, who make the decisions because I really kept it very similar. I just changed the title and changed the pitch. And they're like, oh, okay, now I can get it. I had to make it more in a box for them. Well, that's a great, uh, that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah. For somebody who is starting off and somebody who's going around. You can't be too proud or too precious. That's another big one. Which is hard because I'm very protective of my art, my work. I, I love it, but I just learned, do you want a book deal or not? You've got to play the game. If you want it, you might not, you know, but if you want to do this, the level I want to do it, you've got to make it palatable. And then once you've proven yourself, then you can go off. And, you know, my second book that I'm working on now, it's going to be much more in line with what I really want to write. You know, I loved your book. I really loved your book. Oh, thank you. I did not expect to love it so much. Oh, thank you. To be honest with you, I thought that I'm not necessarily the audience. Right. I thought you were talking more to a younger woman, uh, maybe just out of college. But I found that that young woman is still in me and she hasn't been talked to enough. Right. That's interesting. I love to hear that. And I was like, oh, I, I did not as I was going through all these things that you talk about, I did not really, even though I was in therapy and even though I was living those things and I consider myself, you know, a person who contemplates and reflects on things and journaling and stuff, I guess I didn't come across a voice like yours at that age. And, right, and I didn't right. have anyone talking to her. So I felt very comfortable in your presence, especially I love uh, audio and I love the, your, the way you read your book. Thank you. And I want to say, I thought that it was so, um, I mean, brave is the word, but it, because I, I, I think I know you. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Totally. Like, I hesitated for a second, but, but yeah, come totally. on, like I've known you for 10 years. Right. And that goes to, you know, you don't, you never really fully know the person, you know, and even though we've right. talked a lot about different things, um, I was shocked to hear some of the things that you open up about in the book. Right, right. It's interesting. You know, I'm, I have a, I appreciate your words so much. Um, I have a, a business now where I help, I'm helping people write their books, uh, coaching business. And what I'm noticing with so, I mean, they're all, all my clients are women and one gay guy. But what I'm really noticing that they're all, it's like across the board, everyone's going through is as you write the book, things come up, you know, like things that you thought you had buried. It's like, you're saying, I haven't talked to that young person inside of myself in a while, or she hasn't been spoken to. Same with me. So as I wrote it, I realized I needed to talk to my younger self. I realized how much stuff I had been through that I had buried and I'd open up one memory and another one would come out and then another one. And it's happening with all the, in particular with things around sexual assault and sexual violence is, and trauma. Every girl is like, I'm working with this like, oh my God, I, I did not realize how much this impacted me or I completely blocked this one relationship out. And this girl said to me the other day, I realized I haven't held, hold, ever held anyone ever accountable for anything they've ever done to me. And I'm like, this is a big thing to swallow, you know, as you're writing. And I went through the same thing. It's like, people are like, oh, I didn't know you had gone through this. And I'm like, I don't know that I did until I wrote about it. 
you know, I've got crazy uh, following in Asia. And I think a lot of that has to do with sexuality stuff because I write very a lot about sexuality and coming out and relationships. And a lot of people write me and they're like, I'm closeted in my country. And like, I love reading about your stuff. And I love reading about your relationships and this and that. And I guess there's just, I, I try and write with a, with an openness too. Like I want people to feel like I'm not judging them if they can't come out or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting, but most of, yeah, I've got a, a lot of people in Asia, a lot of people in Australia, people in England, Scotland. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, my Amazon sales, like Amazon India are like, really, <laughs> really funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about it. India is an incredible market. Huge, huge market, <laughs> huge market. Exactly. <laughs> but if I didn't have to circle back, if I didn't have the international sort of upbringing with my mom and going and traveling so much and being exposed to different cultures, I don't know if the book would be resonating with these people. I think that when you're exposed to different cultures at a young age, you're able to just like communicate with different people. Whereas, you know, some books I, I read and I'm like, I can't even fully relate to this experience because it's so all Well, American. but you also, in your book, you mentioned your friends and your friends are an international crowd of people. So everybody's like, oh, I'm this person in that book or I'm that person in that book. Right, they can sort of see themselves a little, you know? Yeah. And you don't do, and the, the good, cool part about it is that you're not, you don't have to bring that diversity uh, artificially. Y you live it in a natural way. You can tell the difference. It's authentic. Right, right, right. Yeah, you can really feel when people are trying to check a, check something off a box, you know, like they're it, this faux diverse thing, but it's, they're not connected to the actual people. Like you can tell that they've never had a friend who doesn't look like them. Yes but they're trying so hard to come across as inclusive, yeah. but it's like, you, you can't come across as inclusive. The only way to be inclusive is to just make friends who don't look like you. Ask them questions, you know, <laughs> learn, expose yourself. Right. And you're lucky if you do, and if you have like the natural environment that you, you grew up with a lot of that, but a lot of times you need to actually intentionally step towards that and make a point of, I want to meet people who are different. Because otherwise you just won't. Right. I do want to go back to your book and you being so raw. You do talk about sexual assault. Yes. I met you just around the time when it happened. I remember you then very well. And you never told anyone. Yeah. When I heard it, I was just in shock. And I want to ask you, how did you make the decision to include that in the book? And how did you go about uh addressing people I don't know if you told anyone I, I mean I'm not your closest friend but uh I don't know if any of the family knew I know your brother didn't know um or at least he told me he didn't H how did you go about including such a personal thing that is impacting other members of your family out there yeah first of all there's something safe about writing a book as opposed to writing on the internet which I'm used to so I always wanted to tell my story that part of my story but I just knew that the internet is, it's not a safe place. People click in, people are looking to comment. If someone goes out and spends money on your book, they're focused, they're mature, they're coming from a place of not tearing you down as much, you know? So I, I wanted to save it for the book. And I just, you know, when you're writing, for me at least, you can't think about anybody else besides the girl you're talking to. Like I said, like, who are you talking to? That's so important. 
because then you start to think, oh my God, what is my family going to think? What is so-and-so going to think? Is so-and-so going to judge me? Are they going to be angry with me? Am I shaming my anyone? You get into that. So I just made it such a mental thing where it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because I'm only writing it for this one person. She's the only person who's going to read it. So fuck everyone else. You know, that's how I had to do it. And then as far as I'm really grateful that I don't, you know, my, my family is supportive, but we never have had to really talk about it. It's like, I could just put, write this book and tell my story, but I don't want to be sitting around explaining myself to anyone. You know what I mean? And they don't make me do that. So that's great. Yeah. It's not easy though. But you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, if your parents, and I say this in my podcast that I have with my friend too, like we can't be creating art worrying about our parents. <laughs> and if your parents aren't slightly disturbed by your podcast or your writing, you're probably not doing a very good job. <laughs> Honestly, you know, like if your parents aren't a little triggered by your writing or your art or your podcast, like you're not really going for it. And we just can't be creative and worry about them. We just can't. They're adults. I mean, it's intense, but it's just, that's the life of a creative. You tell stories, you get raw, you can't bypass it. Just like we said, you can't, you can't like spiritually bypass diversity in your life and, and perform it. You have to live it. And same with your art, you know, you can't fake vulnerability. You've got to actually get uncomfortable, you know, Yeah. for it to have an impact. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I guess it's a bit of like Russian culture in me. Russian culture is much more closed. So you don't, you don't spill your guts and even more. And that's why I asked about parents, like even more, like you don't, uh, undermine your parents. And I, you know, I really did never, I, I feel like every time I've written about my parents, I, I always, cause I do love them and I'm so close to them. I always, they're, they're amazing. They're always great yes, characters they are. In, my, Absolutely. in my book. So I never want to disparage them at all, but you know, you can't help if your life, you know, you can't hold back on telling the truth about your life in fear that they'll, it'll upset them because at the end of the day, I don't believe that anybody makes it if you're really alive, you're not making it through without some hiccups along the way. And that doesn't speak against your parents. That's nothing, that's nothing bad on them. They, and, and parents in general, like they can't take that personally. Like it's, I moved to England, some bad shit happened to me and that's not their fault. And it's not my fault. It's just life. And I think as a parent, you should be proud of the fact. And I think my parents are that you they raised me in a way where I feel safe to be open about this and to speak about it. It actually takes, I think, a great strength, you know, to talk about your experiences. And that speaks to how you're brought up, you know, with a lot of strength and a lot of support that made it so I, I can do this. So I think it, it should only make them be proud. But, you know, I can't control, obviously, how how anyone in the family feels. So <laughs> <laughs> was there any, I'm sensing some, some words with that. No, no. I think, I think if anytime my mom is like upset by anything I've written, she just processes it with my wife. That's convenient. <laughs> they just deal with it. And you know, so that's, I, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I wish they wouldn't read anything I wrote. That would be great, but that's never going to happen with my mom. She's too. Oh, come on. Nosy. You don't <laughs> wish she didn't read it. You want her to read it. I know. <laughs> I don't want her to listen to my podcast. I don't want her to read my book. You know, it's like, it's not mom friendly content is what I say. 
because I don't want that. I don't want my my protectiveness of her to ever get in the way of me going as far as I can. And it does, you know, even for me, it still does. So it would be great if they just said, no, you can just be our daughter. We're not going to consume any of your content. <laughs> I feel like my family are kind of excluded from my content because of the language. Like my dad doesn't right. listen to my podcast, even though it's not a, as personal as your stuff. But uh, my grandma tries to read my posts using like Google Translate. But, right. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so in a way, I guess they are protected. So maybe maybe I can think of it that way. Maybe I just need to learn another language and start creating in a different language. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'd love that. That's one of those things that you could do. I do want to ask you one more question. And uh, we can, you know, if you don't feel like talking about it, we can totally uh, edit it out. But one thing that I felt uh, that was omitted in your book is you coming out. And I kind of remember how it happened. And correct me if I'm misrepresenting it, because... When I first met you, you were not out yet. Yes. Yeah. And then when it happened, uh, I remember there was some tension because there was some resistance in the family to that. Yes. Yes. And there yes. was a conversation about, hey, we live in a small town. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yes. How could I forget? And I yeah. remember it very Be careful. Make sure you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was really surprised. Yeah. Um, so for me, I actually came out as bisexual very young, um, in high school. So my friends knew school knew, uh, you know, it, it, I, I was very confident in it. And then as I got to be older, I realized that I definitely leaned more towards women and I had a deeper connection. So I always said, I'm not going to deal with my parents until, I'm in a relationship and I'm really happy. And even then I tried to sort of hide a little. And then I was like, my parents could just tell I was hiding something. I think they thought I was on drugs. And I hear this from so many gay kids, like their parents think they're on drugs. They know that they're hiding something, but they don't know what it is. And they automatically go to drugs. I was not on drugs at all. <laughs> well, that's the biggest fear of every parent. Right, of a parent, exactly. Something's wrong, but I don't know what it is, must be drugs. Um, so finally I was like, okay, my parents think I'm on drugs. I've got to tell them. And, uh, and I did, and there was a little resistance. Yes. You know, are you sure? Maybe you shouldn't tell anybody unless you're sure. I was definitely sure. And it was a little awkward. Um, but very quickly, my, my family came around very fast, you know, once they really realized this was the truth and this is the way it is. Um, I don't know anybody who has a totally seamless coming out experience you know I think uh but you were surprised even if you're liberal I was I was surprised because your family are very open-minded and your mom's one of her best friends was gay yeah she's she's very open-minded but I think parents project themselves their identity onto us mm -hmm. so if I look like my mom in a way and I'm living in London like she lived and I'm People say we have a similar personality, which we really don't, but on the outside, it could be easy to make a comparison. So then she thinks, oh, well, she's gonna have a life like me. And then you sort of throw a wrench in the plans when you're like, oh, actually I wanna be with girls. And she's like, wait, but you're supposed to be a younger version of me and I didn't like girls, so what's going on, you know? Mm. So I think that's where it's rooted in. It's, it becomes an identity crisis for them. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I think it's completely innocent. I think all parents do it. I think I'll do it to my kids, whether we want to or not. We do have expectations Mm -hmm. based on ourselves. You know, these creatures come from us. They have the same genetics. You know, it's like kids, you know, people who are doctors expect their kids to become doctors like them or people who are really athletic can't wait for their kid to play soccer. And then the kid doesn't like soccer and the kid wants to do arts and crafts. And you're like, I don't understand, you know? So I think it's like that. And also coming from more traditional cultures, like British culture is very proper. Very proper. Do you think that had to do? Yeah, I do. I think gay culture, which I love about gay culture, it's so not proper. It's so fun and free and expressive. And uh, that's that's the antithesis of British culture, if you think about it. Of, of England, of course, has a thriving, fabulous gay scene and English people can be so much fun. But if we think of proper English, more conservative, posh culture, you know, it's not the, the boy wearing um, leather pants, leather shorts to family dinner. That's gay culture, yeah. you know? <laughs> so... But I love it. Like, I feel the most myself in gay culture. I never am told I'm too much. You know, all the things that I felt alien in England for gay culture has with open arms. And gay culture is so diverse because people are often ostracized from their family or their more traditional culture. So everyone's so close and we rely on each other so much. We are in a weird way. It's, I think there are really big comparisons to being an immigrant and being gay. Yeah. We flock towards each other. We live in similar areas. We feel more comfortable around each other. We speak the same language. There's a family sense that I have with another gay person. And then when we're around non-gay people, we feel other in a way. Yeah. And we're like, do I tone this part of me down? So it's interesting. Well, like any minority and like any other, you you relate to that. And in that sense, I feel that that is one of those things that, you know, when people say, oh, we need diversity, people don't really care to explain what is the value of diversity. Right. And from that comes this wrong approach to diversity just to check the box and the misplaced sort of resistance to diversity because people don't want to be imposed, the diversity to be imposed. But, exactly. But then, and, and actually it never works when it, impo- when it is imposed. No. It only will work when it comes from the place of true acceptance. And that is one of those things that being a minority, such as uh, LGBTQ person, or being a minority as an immigrant and being other, right? that uh, experience of being other makes you more open. Yeah, completely. Makes you much more open. And I think a lot of the problem with the faux sort of diversity that we're talking about, with you see it with immigrants, you see it with gay people, you see it with people of color, this sort of classic white straight American is like, yeah, we're embracing, but you have to do it in a way that's palatable to them. Don't have too thick of an accent. Oh yeah, we're gonna hire you know a, a Mexican person, but they have to almost look white and act white, you know, because if they're too embracing of their culture, then it freaks them out. Or we want to have a gay person, but you know they're not like super flamboyant like the amount of times I hear that like people say oh well you're not like a 
super lesbian because like, you know, like I'm palatable for straight people because I have long hair and I wear makeup. But I always want to say to them, that dyke with the shaved head, we're no different. You don't accept her. You don't actually accept me. We're the same, you know? And it, I talk with my um, best friend, Eduardo, who is Mexican and he's an immigrant. And he came to the country in his teens. And, you know, people, he's very immersed himself in white culture and works with a lot of white people and has a lot of white friends. And they forget sometimes that he's Mexican and they'll say something derogatory about another Mexican in front of him. And then they're like, well, you know, you're not like that kind of Mexican. And it's like, no, I am. I'm exactly the same. Yeah, people, absolutely, yeah. Or when people, a black person goes up and speaks. I've heard people say, oh, wow, they sound so educated or something like, you know, and it's just like- All that stuff, yeah. All that stuff, exactly. It's like, what the fuck? And people think that they say it um, as a compliment and- As a fucking compliment. Yeah. Uh, that's when it hurts the most. Cause you know, it's like that poem you sent me right before I went to Israel, you sent me a poem. It's one of my favorite poems and it's called the Hebrew Mamita. The girl talks about how she sent this to me. And it's like, I listen to it all the time. It was a spoken word poem. Oh my God. Well, you need to, I, I have terrible memory. I will resend it. <laughs> but she talks about how she is at a bar in New York and she, she says something, a guy asks her out and she says, oh, I can't go out, it's Yom Kippur. And he goes, oh, you don't look Jewish. You don't act Jewish. And she's, he says it in a way that sounds like a compliment. And then she finds herself thanking him. And then she has this awakening, like, what? You know? And, and it's, it's, it's dark, because then you, I've found myself being like, oh, thank you, yeah, I know, I'm like girly or pretty for a lesbian. And like, no, that's actually just wildly offensive. And I'm no different than the boy who's going to school with his nails painted blue. That's me. We're all the same, you know? Yeah. I think, honestly, I think that's a great place to wrap. Is there, <laughs> is there anything that I, didn't, that I didn't touch? No, I think you're doing it. I love this. You're a fabulous interviewer. Thank you, Z. That means a lot coming from you. And we'll have to, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I would love to come. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Follow Zara on Instagram. Check out crazybadbabesclub.com. Get Zara's book. You can listen to it for free if you sign up with audiobooks.com or audible.com. All the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Shoot us a message. All the contact info and links to social media are in the show notes and on our website. I am now on Clubhouse, so come find me and join our We The Aliens rooms Tuesday morning and Thursday evening Pacific Standard Time. And if you need an invite, DM me on Instagram. And don't forget to share the show with a friend. I don't know, someone who's writing their first book or someone who's thinking about moving to New York or someone who's afraid that their mom will find out. I don't know what, just that their mom will find out. Just click share and text them a link. Let them know you're thinking about them and help us grow the show. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Double mask when you're indoors. Love y'all. Peace. This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean a thing.